strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. As we roll out of town, I'm sure a lot of you are on the road today. Keep it locked here to KTAR News. As we said before, we'll keep you updated on traffic reports throughout the morning so you know what the best place to travel is. We'll keep you entertained and informed throughout the day. And I uh, hope you're going somewhere fun for the holiday. Uh, Congress intervening in a potential rail strike. I don't see the White House doing it. We've talked about this before. The president of the United States is not Ronald Reagan, and that's not a, it's not a criticism. It's an observation. Ronald Reagan intervened when there was going to be a strike or the, or the union strike of the um, – Air traffic controllers and what it was going to do to cripple air travel in the U.S. being a national security and economic issue intervened, broke the union, and the rest is history. But this is the most – we now have the most pro-union president I believe we've ever had. He calls himself that. I believe that to be true. I don't think the Biden administration is going to do much, although there isn't anyone that I know of that knows the economy that doesn't believe that the supply chain issues that will come from a rail strike at this time in our economy would be devastating – to the tune of billions of dollars per day. The holidays are right around the corner. Black Friday is going to be upon us this week. We all understand the significance of Black Friday for the retail industry and what happens if we can't ship goods across the country, or at least by rail. We're going to have to do it through the air. We're going to have trucks, which we don't have enough of the 18-wheelers now, and we have diesel fuel in short supply. So, you know, those are the, that's what's happening. But a, a political story said um, the president of the largest rail union predicts congressional intervention after a no vote. Um, I'm hopeful, but I doubt I doubt it's really in the cards, said Jeremy Fer- Ferguson, president of the Smart Transportation Division, the country's largest rail union, whose members voted down a tentative agreement with employers on Monday. I've got a lot of issues that are outstanding that are reasons why our guys voted it down. Others talk about the uh, um, union officials have been meeting daily with railroads over Zoom this week. To be honest with you, it's getting to a point where all we're doing is regurgitating the same information we did in the last meeting. There was a cooling off period. Something's got to happen by then. Otherwise, we'll walk. So we are seeing the potential at a time when our economy really doesn't need this. Um, we may see a rail strike. Now, will this work? Will, will union membership? And I don't, I don't know the answer to this, to be honest with you. I, I don't know the answer to this. Will the country revolt? Cause this country is fairly pro union. I'm not a pro union guy, but I'm not anti either. I, I'm someone that grew up in a right to work state. I thrived in a right to work state in the trades, but I also have said very clearly on this show a number of times, especially in the world I came from as an electrician, union trained tradesmen and women are the best trained. They have the most comprehensive training. If you hire a union electrician and you get a journeyman electrician, you are going to get a well-rounded, thorough electrician. And that's not always the case unless people seek out the training if they're not a union in a union shop. Um, but I was able to thrive outside of the unions, both here and in Florida where I grew up. So I'm not, a, I'm not a big proponent of them. But a lot of people in the country talk about the negotiating power. Union workers are better trained. Union workers generally make more money than non-union workers. They're responsible for the rise in wages for everybody, not just for union workers. And that's the sentiment a lot of people have. But there comes a time where it crosses a line. If you look at what happened in Arizona with the movement, and they're not really a union but an organization where the Red for Ed movement happened here in Arizona, that 
people sided with the teachers. 77,000 teachers and educators were at the Capitol in a protest, and there was a big number of people that supported them at that time. That has waned, but at the time, there was big support for them. That's not the case anymore. There's a line that crosses sometimes where it becomes too political, or maybe you're asking too much, where it feels like you're holding people hostage. I don't know what American sentiment will be in this, but if we see a crippling effect to the economy and it's attributed to the rail strike or a rail strike, will the people in America go from siding with union membership saying you deserve a higher wage and safer working conditions and sick days and the other things that they're arguing about? And will they say now what you're doing is trying to squeeze every penny you can out of it because you're holding the country hostage and our economy hostage? And I don't know where that line is. I don't even know if we're approaching that line, but they all know that it exists. Public sentiment can turn on you quickly. Again, 77,000 people down at the Capitol in support of Red for Red when that movement first started. And now you see the protests that they have. They have eight or ten people, 12 people show up, and it's usually the same 10 or 12 people that show up. That movement saw its day back then, and then it became so overtly political that people walked away. But what we're looking at here is – uh, the economy. Investor home purchases drop 30% as rising rates, high prices cool the housing market. Oil shipping costs have soared um, as Ukraine war reshapes the global trade. Egg prices at the grocery store hyperinflate ahead of Thanksgiving. And here's an interesting one. We've talked about a policy. I've, I've mentioned policy for so long and how we do things. And uh, it shouldn't be about personality, but what works and what doesn't. This is a story from Zero Hedge, which is such a wealth of information at Zero Hedge. Illinois has created zero net jobs in 20 years. Illinois has many deep structural issues that continue to be ignored by those in power. Among them is one that impacts people's everyday lives deeply. Illinois' lack of job creation. A wire point review of employment growth across the 50 states shows Illinois' ec- economy hasn't created any net new employment in more than 20 years. In fact, Illinois has lost 106,697 net jobs since 2000, according to the the, um, Bureau of Labor Statistics. When you look at where the big job creators are, it's interesting. Utah is in there, Idaho, Nevada, Arizona, Texas, Florida. What do they all have in common? You look at these states, Nevada, you look at Nevada, Texas, Florida, Big job creators, no state income tax. Arizona is number four on the list of job creators. Utah, Idaho, Nevada, Arizona, Texas, then Florida. It is a fascinating study of what works and what doesn't. We all understand that we should pay our fair share. The idea that you are going to tax and punish with punitive taxes the wealthy and they're going to stick around for it, they aren't. There aren't. There will be wealthy people that live in Arizona, and if things were to change here, and thankfully there's a law that's been passed, I think it now takes 60% of votes in the legislature to increase taxes in Arizona, which is a good thing for wealthier people. If you raise taxes, if you come in with this big tax, the one that was shot down by the proposition that was shot down that would have dramatically increased over 70% of income tax rate for wealthy people, wealthy people have options. The very wealthy have options. So what they will do is they'll homestead somewhere else. 
and then all of their tax dollars will leave in Arizona or a significant portion of it. They'll buy a house in Texas. They'll buy a house in Florida. They'll say home bases in Florida or Texas. And a lot of those, that's why we've enticed business to come here because we've restructured the tax base. That doesn't mean that people shouldn't pay their fair share, that everybody isn't um, obligated to pay taxes. The problem is when we start punitive taxes. Punitive taxes means we're punishing people. It's punish the rich. That mentality, in my opinion, has never succeeded. And you look at Illinois as a perfect example. Illinois hasn't created a job in 20 years, a net new job in 20 years. In a moment, we're going to talk about running for office, not the election that we've just had, but the Supreme Court now okays Congress to receive the Trump tax returns on both sides of the aisle. If Trump's not the nominee and Biden might not be the nominee, who might we be looking at? We'll talk about that coming up in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. During King LASIK's season of savings, LASIK, both eyes is just $3,500. That's a $2,000 savings. With that savings and 0% financing for 24 months on approved credit, LASIK with Dr. King is only $146 per month. Go to kinglasik.com slash Arizona for complete details. So we jumped as we knew was going to happen. We have not even wrapped up all of the races here in Arizona for 2022, and we are already talking about 2024. Former President Donald Trump. Trump says he is going to run again. Joe Biden, the president of the United States, President Biden says that he believes he's going to run again, but it will be a family decision. So people are not sure if he will be the candidate. Many people are saying that we need to move away from former President Trump. It's a long way from over. I, I will in every every time we watch elections, when you see things happen, there seems to be insurmountable leads by someone at some time. Um when uh, Governor Ducey won his first term um, in the primary, uh, in the the election year, in, in January of the election year for his first term, I believe he was 40 points behind the person that was leading the primary, 40, and was able to overcome that, win the primary, and win the general election. So we have no clue now who's going to come out. It doesn't matter what the polls say right now. Ron DeSantis is is winning. Governor DeSantis in Florida is winning in some polls over the former president. Former President Trump remains to be very, very strong within the Republican Party. But this is hanging over his head. There's no doubt this is hanging over the president's head. For three years, they've been battling in court about his tax returns. The Supreme Court on Tuesday cleared the way for the imminent handover of former President Donald Trump's tax returns to a congressional committee after a three-year legal fight. The, the court, with no noted dissents, uh, rejected Trump's plea for an order that would have prevented the Treasury Department from giving six years of tax returns from tr- uh, for Trump and some of his businesses to the Democratic-controlled House Ways and Means Committee. Now, what this becomes of this, we, I have no idea. What direction this goes, we have no idea. But it does make you think, in the last few election cycles, Donald Trump beat all of the Republicans the first time around and then overcame what everybody thought was the heir apparent in Hillary Clinton to win the presidency, only then to lose four years later to Joe Biden. So former President Trump, and now we have current President Biden, and no one is sure that either one of them is going to come out the nominee. 
And who might be? Ron DeSantis for the Republicans is definitely going to be one of them. But it's interesting with the Democrats, names like Vice President Harris, Pete Buttigieg, some other familiar names that are already in the administration. They're already household names. They are thrown around as possibilities. But I don't know. None of us know if the president of the United States is going to um, is going to run again. And I would imagine if he decides he is going to, I can't imagine they would primary him. Um, but who could be uh, Elizabeth Warren? She's on the list as always. Vice President Harris, like I said, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Bernie Sanders is going to be another one that he was a very popular candidate. Um, I think because people believe him, whether they agree with all of his stance. The California Democrat Ro Khan, Khanna, I'm sorry, um, and uh, Governors Newsom of California and Whitmer of Michigan are on this list for potential Democrat candidates. Do the What will the American people do? Because the, I talk about the pendulum swinging, and we've watched it swing in dramatically different directions over the last uh, decades or so. When you go back again, go back to Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter, one term swept in the pendulum swing to the right with Ronald Reagan. Eight years of Reagan gave us four years of George H.W. Bush. After one term of Bush, swung in the other direction to Bill Clinton for eight years. Swung in the other direction to Bush eight, to George W. Bush, Bush 43. After 43 came Barack Obama. After Barack Obama swung over the other side to Donald Trump. And after Donald Trump, it swung over to Joe Biden. But what we did see in there and what we have seen over recent years is more and more people are less likely to vote for establishment people. What I mean by that is well-established political names. If you look at the number, especially Republicans, that if you look at the number of people – that ran in the primary, that were established, known national names in American politics, that Donald Trump defeated in the primary, it, it, it was about voter sentiment and wanting a new direction in some case. Go back even further than that. When Barack Obama won his first term in the White House, there were a lot of things at play. There was such a dismal economy at the time, a major recession, and they were able to, in that campaign, connect the Bush economic plan and call it that saying that, that McCain, John McCain's economic plan would just be more of the same. But if you look at that swing that happened there, what happened? It was it was Barack Obama saying that we wanted hope and change and we want a different direction. He was a fresh face with very limited experience in the grand scheme of American politics. And so after that, we elected Barack Obama for a two, two terms. He defeated a former governor in Mitt Romney. He, he defeated John McCain, who was probably the most recognizable voice in name in American politics at the time. With all due respect to President Obama, John McCain knew everybody in the world of any power. Then we elected Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton. That was pretty remarkable. And Hillary Clinton lost that election. She didn't have campaign very well. But Donald Trump, again, kind of an outsider, just like Barack Obama was, opposite side of the political aisle, but an outsider, fresh blood and beating people like Jeb Bush and Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio and a lot of other established names. Is that the direction we're heading? There could be names on this list. There could be people that come out on this list that we haven't even thought of yet that make a real run at that White House. It should be a fascinating time, and a lot of it's going to be determined by what gets accomplished or doesn't get accomplished in the next two years. American sentiment about the economy goes a long way in choosing these things. We will see what gets done. I just find it all to be fascinating.
What we're going to do in just a few moments um, is we're going to talk about a couple of things. First of all, the Colorado shooting the other day. We're getting more clarity on the suspect. And is the narrative changing about this suspect? And then there was a murder a murder spree in Virginia. We're going to talk about those two things coming up here in just one moment. You know, the old house. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, if you know a remarkable teacher here in the Valley that deserves a check for $2,500, you can text the word teacher to 411923 and nominate that teacher for our paid t- tribute to a teacher program that's going on. That's right. One teacher is going to get $2,500. Text teacher to 411923. Pay tribute to a teacher as presented by your Valley Toyota dealers. Um, in the days that followed, in the day that followed, and, and a couple of days after that followed the shooting at the nightclub in Colorado Springs, I lamented the fact that here we were already arguing politics, that first of all, there was the president of the United States calling for a ban on what they call assault weapons. There was also many people out there saying that this is the right wing rhetoric against LGBTQ that causes violence and hate and extremism and all of these things were coming out. So I want I want you to hear a little bit. This is Matt Gutman over at ABC talking about that very topic. I think take the monitors hate speech online reported a shocking 613 percent rise in hate speech targeting the LGBTQ community. They're saying that that is being parroted by politicians and influencers online. And the think tank is concerned that this could spur even more violence. This is why the First Amendment is so important in this country. The importance of the First Amendment is critical because it's deemed hate speech many times when you disagree with people. When you have religious organizations that don't agree with with, um, gay marriage or otherwise, it's called hate speech. When someone says we don't like the way you live, that we think that what you're living – the way you're living is an abomination to God, it's called hate speech. And vice versa. When you have people in the defund the police movement calling cops murderers with badges, I would say that's hate speech. But it's protected, and it's protected because it isn't hurting anyone. It isn't hurting anyone. And that's why we protect controversial speech. The First Amendment is there to protect the speech. I've used this example many times, so hear me out. The uh, art exhibits by a an artist named Maplethorpe years and years and years ago was offensive to people. It was homoerotic art. And um, – I'm not going to go into details. There's probably a lot of families traveling, but it was seen as very controversial. And the artists themselves said art is supposed to conjure emotion in you. And it's protected by the First Amendment. They have a right to speak. We've talked about the American flag being burned and desecrated. As, and that is an affront to so many people that see the um, – the American flag is a symbol that so many have bled it and died for, and to desecrate it is an affront, is, is an insult, is, is an outrage. Um, one of the great stories I remember from the late John McCain is he told a story about his time at the Hanoi Hilton as a prisoner of war that one of the – they were all in a big room together. And every night they had a bowl of soup that they got for dinner. And before they ate dinner, one of his comrades had inside – they had prison uniforms they wore. Inside the jacket of his prison uniform, he had sewn an American flag. And so every night he would stand in front of the group. He would open his jacket, and they would say the Pledge of Allegiance before they had dinner. When their captors found out he had that flag in his uniform, they beat him mercilessly. They beat him almost to death. 
put him back in the cell with all of his comrades, and they nursed him back to health. It took quite a while to do that. I think it was a couple of weeks, if I remember correctly, but I don't remember the exact time frame. And as soon as he was healthy enough, that prisoner began to sew another American flag inside that jacket. So to John McCain, he sees the American flag differently than a lot of other people do, although it's protected speech being used in art exhibits. There was another one where for all of you out there that were raised Catholic in the Catholic Church, the most sacred symbol in the Catholic Church is the crucifix. And there's a difference between a cross that Christians wear and a crucifix. A crucifix shows the crucified Christ. And it is the most sacred symbol in the Catholic Church. And an artist decided that they were going to take a rosary, which is rosary beads, prayer beads, with a crucifix on it. And they dropped it into a jar of urine. And it was art and protected speech. Offensive? Absolutely. Protected? Sure. And if somebody had acted out violently against the artist or acted out violently against the gallery that was hosting this exhibit, they would have gone to jail. My point is, speech is protected. Actions are not. So we keep hearing about this rise in hate speech, 600%. It's right-wing rhetoric and all these other things. I don't care what political party they're going after. They say the rhetoric's the problem. Here's another ABC News report now, now with more information on the shooter. Anderson Lee Aldrich uses they-them pronouns. They are accused of killing five people and wounding several others inside the LGBTQ nightclub. A family friend says the 22-year-old was bullied as a teen, which they believe contributed to Aldrich's decision to change names in 2016, months after a website surfaced specifically targeting Aldrich. ABC News viewed an archived copy of the website, which makes vulgar comments about the then-teenager's weight. So, he is non-binary. And he went into a gay nightclub and committed these acts of murder. So does it change the rhetoric? Well, to some people it won't. But in the end, why are we arguing about the rhetoric? Why are we not arguing about the mental depravity of someone that gets to a point that they can level a firearm at other human beings, perfect strangers, and just start murdering people? That should be our concern. But instead, we take our political views, we take our political outlook, and many of them, and I wouldn't say, I don't even say the majority of people, but if you've ever been criticized if you've ever been uh, people have judged you based on one thing about you, whether it's the color of your skin, it's your uh, um, sexuality, it's whatever it is. If you have been um, judged because of it or people dislike you because of it, you have a different view that doesn't make it right. Here's somebody that would have been in that or group with you. That's somebody that that identifies with different pronouns and all these other things that are happening now that were never around when I was younger. People my age don't understand the, the idea of misgendering or using the wrong pronouns and it being hate speech and it being violent. There was somebody recently that said intentionally using uh, wrong pronouns is violence. Respond accordingly. And here you have someone that responded violently. To the way they've been treated, but they didn't respond violently against the people that hated them, responded violently to the group of people that they were associated with. Doesn't that change the narrative? Why are we arguing? Why are we arguing about rhetoric and speech? 
if you want, if, if any of you out there that are listening, if we get into a confrontation, into an argument, and let's say it's a political argument, I'm on the right, you're on the left, and or, or whatever it is, we have a disagreement, right to life, abortion issue, right to choose, one of the passionate issues in American politics. If we are having a heated conversation and one of us gets to the point in that conversation that we take a swing at the other, never mind involving weapons, we take a swing at the other one. Aren't we going to jail? Haven't we already committed the wrong act? So what is it about this? What is it about these topics that when somebody acts out violently, we start talking about why and blaming other people for their actions? This guy got arrested and never convicted, was let go without charges for threatening to kill his grandparents with a homemade bomb a couple of years earlier. Apparently, his mother hit him. Hid, H-I-D, not hit him. Hid him. Told neighbors not to tell the police where he was staying. So there's deeper issues here than what we're hearing. But the easy political narrative is to continue down the road of saying you disagree with me or I disagree with you. Therefore, you're evil and your speech, the words you've used have caused violence against me or the words you use are violence against me. First Amendment prevents all of this from happening, and it's why it's so critical. It's why it's so important. And strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for spending some time with the show. If you're heading out of town, take it easy. We've got traffic reports all morning long to get you to where you're going as safely as we possibly can. Keep you entertained. Keep you informed. Take it easy. going to be a lot of people on the roadways. And uh, just uh, get each other there safe. And uh, just be a little patient, and you'll get there. Um, climate change. Not a topic that I'm a big – I don't buy into cl- man-made climate change. I'm not someone – I get their messages from people. I'm respectful to people that do. It's just not what I believe. I grew up in an era where we were told in the 1970s that we were going to freeze, that we were going to starve because we were going to freeze. There wouldn't be enough of a thaw to grow crops, and the world was going to starve. That was – if you look, it was um, the great cooling. I can't remember the name of it. It was a Newsweek story in the 1970s. I remember as a little kid the snowdrifts in northeast Ohio. I don't remember much about Ohio, but I remember that, that in the wintertime, living in the country where I did, the farm country where I did, that there were huge snowdrifts. And that was the big, I remember my father drove a little Triumph Spitfire. And there were times when it was literally under the snow. Um, and the threat was global cooling, was the great freeze that was coming. We relocated in the late 1970s to southwest Florida, Fort Myers, where the hurricane hit recently, is the town I grew up in. And we were told then in the 1980s that it was the other way around. We had a fluorocarbons and aerosol cans had burned a hole in the ozone, and we were going to burst into flames. And that when and that Al Gore told us later on that we were going to see the melting ice caps and glaciers, and that Florida would actually be underwater, that there there would be places where the seas would rise so much that it would push parts of Florida underwater. That never happened either. So now it's just called climate change. It was global warming. It was global cooling. So in my mind, I believe that the earth cools and warms like everyone else does. I am a proponent of a safe planet, of a clean planet. I want clean water. I want clean air. I want pristine forests. I want thriving herds of of animals. I want all of those things. For me, selfishly for my grandchildren, I want them to be able to enjoy this beautiful state and have it be in a pristine... If you, You can't ever have gone to play 
places um, like Havasupai or going to the Grand Canyon, even up in the White Mountains um, in places that you can go. Hey, we have very close friends that have a place in Christopher Creek, and it is absolutely breathtaking to me. And you can't see those and then not be concerned about preserving it. But that doesn't mean that we're going to change the way the world does things. And it looks to me like that's exactly what's happening. Um, Here's a story from Politico. Social cost of what now? The EPA this week proposed nearly quadrupling the social cost of carbon, a metric that the government uses to help determine the climate impacts of any given regulation. Again, I truly believe that the agenda, everything that flows out of this administration, flows out of the prism of climate change being the worst thing that's happening to the planet and the biggest issue to be uh, dealt with. The current figure, which has drawn legal challenges from Republican-led states, estimates that every metric ton of greenhouse gas emissions creates $51 in economic damage. The EPA's proposal would raise it to $190 per ton. Follow the money. Follow the money. And this is where the problem lies. And this is where the disagreements lie. I can be an environmentalist. I think I am an environmentalist. I do everything I can to take care of the, the, the uh, earth around me. I don't litter. I recycle. I didn't plant winter grass this year because in the city of Phoenix, they said that's one way you can conserve water with this big drought that we're in. So I didn't plant winter grass. I'll live with the brown lawn. And, you know, instead of the bright green that I like so much, it seems like a very small sacrifice to make to try to conserve some water during a drought. I'll do what I can. But some of this just is so eco-regulations force massive coal plant to shut down, sparking community uproar. The Southwest Electric Power Company, a subsidiary of the Ohio-based American Electric Power Company, said that it would close this power plant. And the people in the town are upset. The company, which operates 11 power plants, including this one, serves nearly 550,000 customers across Texas, Arkansas, and Louisiana. One of the factors considered was the impact on customer rates for the cost of completing this work. So it's costing you and the working class in America, it is on your shoulders, these changes. Wealthier people can eat the costs of the fuel. There are people that are driving right now that are going to fill their tanks multiple times depending on how far they're going for the holiday. And there are some families where it's an inconvenience and it's a nuisance to spend money where you're now paying a higher gas price than you've ever paid for fuel, you know, for gasoline over the Thanksgiving weekend. So to some families, it's an inconvenience and a nuisance and a complaint. To others, it limits what they're able to do. Heating oil, how much more money people are going to um, pay for heating oil. And that the reality is people will be making choices this winter of whether they are going to eat or they are going to warm their home. So you have to choose. Do you want a full belly or do you want a warm home? And we all, you have to at least acknowledge, and I continue to say this, you have to at least acknowledge that it's existing, that it's happening. You may agree that it's necessary. That's the other part of it. We can agree to disagree on so much. The president, President Biden, has a right to set the policy he wants. He won the election. The Democrats right now still control the House. They also control the, the 50-50 in the Senate, so they effectively control that. They have a right to do what they want, but you can't change the facts of the outcome. And that's what's happening.
What we're going to do just after 10 o'clock, we're going to talk about the, uh, the Maricopa County elections, the lawsuit from the attorney general candidate. Will it be effective? Can it be effective?